0: episode 53 of The Build, I think. I think that's right. We're in our Victor Mete moment, our Lucas Lesio chapter, our Ryan White era. I was in Buffalo in 2016 um, when Victor Mete was drafted. He was a guy I was really high on. Um, and one of the draft guides I, I actually bought and Brought to the draft with me, he was one of he was voted as one of the best skaters in the draft. Uh, probably would have been a first rounder if he was bigger. Um, then, like a full season later, I was pounding the drum that the Canadians should have him make the team because I believe at that point Markov was no longer there, um, and they needed a partner for Shea Weber. And Victor Mete had skills that the Canadians did not currently have on their roster. Um, and then he went like two years without scoring a goal, and then he went on waivers, and that was the end of the Victor Mete experience. Ryan White, on the other hand, a little bit... Actually, they probably played about the same amount of games just over shorter... Fewer seasons, I should say. Uh, Ryan White spent five parts of five seasons with the Canadiens, 17 points in 141 regular season games, but that's not why we remember him. We remember him because he punched a lot of guys. Um, I'll always remember him from that... 2013 series against the Sens that turned into a street fight. He played in three games in that series and had 23 penalty minutes, 17 of which came in the third period. Um or not third period, the third and final final game he played in that series, rather. Um just a good old-fashioned face puncher. There's there's gonna be guys like that, especially as we get into these higher numbers. Uh, but you're not here to listen to me talk about Ryan White. We're back. For the second time in as many weeks, so that must mean the Canadians are playing games again. So, of course, we're going to unpack the first two pre- preseason games of the season, um, but only after I set the stage for how I watched the first two games and how I kind of take in all exhibition hockey. Um, I think I've made it pretty clear what my feelings are when it comes to uh, exhibition hockey, like either the preseason or the rookie showcase games. I think too much is made of the overall results of the games. Um, and the purpose of these games isn't to necessarily see immediate returns on either, um, you know, player personnel decisions from the front office or, uh, you know, development plans for young players. You start to see little bits and pieces as the games go on. But, but you know, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking at that, the things that we had hoped they would work on um, over the summer. And I'm looking at lineups for these games because I think that, the you know, looking at the lineups, they kind of give us an idea of what the team wants to do with their start with their full NHL roster when the season starts. Um, because I think a lot of the combos, you know, they might not stick as full lines, but at least the forward lines. But they might have combos that are created that they use in game one against Toronto, um, you know, to start the regular season. I'm also looking at where like the bubble players are playing. Is a player who's you know who needs a good camp to make the team, Is he playing on a line or a pairing with definite AHL players? Are they playing with NHL Mainstays? To me, the preseason shows me more about the decision make- makers than the players who are actually on the ice. These guys haven't played organized hockey in like 150 days, so like the hockey isn't always great. But the decision makers have been thinking all summer and tinkering with lineups in their head. What did all of that time determine? You know, where, where did we net out at the end of those conversations? These decisions obviously aren't set in stone. They can be changed at a moment's notice. But it is telling to me what things they decide to try first and not necessarily in the sense that, you know, what they want to try first is what they'll end up with. I think that the way that the preseason and training camp kind of works is that, you know, coaching staffs are essentially like incentivized to try the more out there ideas earlier in camp so you can rule them out, you know, make cuts. And then go back to more conventional lines and pairings as the camp moves on. So while these lines may end up being ones we see in game one against Toronto, um, they could also just be checking a box to see if if something works. Even though they have something else in mind, it you know it just gives them more options later on when a player gets hurt. Okay, well we tried these two players together in preseason, it worked. Let's let's go back to that for the time being. So with that in mind, let's take a look at what we saw in the first two games of the preseason, the lineups that we saw, the decisions that were made um, you know, prior to those games, and how those, those new combinations worked out. Um, game one versus New Jersey. Up front, we had one NHL line uh, with Slavkovsky, Newhook, and Anderson. That is a bona fide NHL line. Those are guys who are going to be here. When the season starts, that's your NHL line. It's A and N NHL line. Might not, and you know, as we know now, because game two has already happened, they are tanking, tinkering with a few options with one of those players. Um, so it, also in that game against New Jersey, they had two tweener lines, I'll call them, even though I think more often, more realistically than not, these all of these players end up in the AHL to start the season. Uh, the first of those two lines is the, is Joshua, um, Owen Beck and Yessi Ulinen. Um, I think Wah and Beck are outside, very outside chances to make the NHL team out of camp. There's just, it's a numbers game. There's not a lot of space. And Ulinen is, is fighting for a roster spot in order to avoid being placed on waivers before the season starts. He, he needs wave, he needs to clear waivers in order to be sent to Laval, um, and the other of those two tweener lines is Michael Pezzetta, Pezzetta, uh Stevens, and Farrell. Um, Stevens is likely an AHLer to start this season. I, I I I would imagine maybe he gets one more of these games before being cut. Um Pezzetta's fighting for a roster spot because he too will need to clear waivers to go to the AHL. Farrell is in the same camp to me as Beck and Wa, in that we expect them to start in the AHL. They have outside chances of making the NHL roster. And one purely AHL line out of that first game, um, Xavier Simono, Condada, and Laguerre, who Montreal just acquired, from Pittsburgh. um, That might be, you know, that's probably Laval's like third line when the season starts. Um, Just kind of seeing the other lines that we've seen through camp and in the second preseason game, that seems like an AHL, you know, sort of grind line. Um, on defense, we had one fully NHL pairing in Jacki and Barron, um, half of an NHL pairing in Gooley and Reinbacher, which is very interesting, and another half of an NHL pairing in Harris and Logan Mayu, his first um, look in a Canadian's uniform. I don't count the rookie showcase. Um, so this roster was an extremely game one of the preseason roster. It was It's all over the place. There are a lot of decisions here that are um, interesting, as I noted, playing Reinbacher with Gouli, and to a certain and to a lesser extent, playing Harris with Mayu. Um, I think Reinbacher. I predicted that he's going to make this roster because that's just what this organization does. Um, I can't imagine that he's going to spend a whole lot of time playing with Caden Gouli if he makes the roster, because Gouli is going to be playing much higher in the lineup than they should have. Then they should have Reinbacher at at that point. Um, and Mayu, I think, you know, especially after seeing that first game, I think he needs more time in the AHL, but it's interesting that they paired him with um, a guy who's who's most likely going to be on the NHL roster to start the year. So who are the standouts in that first game? Um, Joshua Waugh, obviously he put a stamp on this game early, not only because of his goal, but he just seemed to be everywhere. Um, he was blocking shots. He was great in transition, moving the puck through the neutral zone um, with his feet, not necessarily passing the puck. Um, he made a statement in that game and that that it's that his goal is to make the team and he's going to make it difficult for the team to to cut him. Um, you know, it seems obvious. That's what all these players say. I'm going to try to make the team. But, it, you know, Waugh went out there and he, he acted like it was a reality for him that he could be playing for the Montreal Canadiens um, come October. Um on that goal, I thought Simono made a really poised play inside the blue line um it was on the power play I believe, and the play looked like it was completely broken like he the puck was bouncing a devil swatted it away um and instead you know Simono corralled it made and and had his head up and made a pass to to Wah on the side of the the net where you know that's a play that i don't necessarily think i i we would see a young player making that often because it's to, to to put all of that into one motion is very complicated um so you know i thought that was a really nice uh point from simano I, I i think the rest of his game was a little unremarkable but it you know if the goal is to show management at least one thing he did it that was a really nice play that he made on the blue line and You know We're not expecting these players to come in and be complete players right off the bat. Um, Early on, I thought Reinbacher looked like an 18-year-old playing in his first NHL game because that's exactly what he was. Um, As the game went on, he settled in. He made smart, um, high-percentage plays throughout. Uh, I I really loved his assist on Anderson's goal um, because it showed off his vision, not only on the passing aspect to find Anderson open on the back door, but to recognize that Alex Newhook, who had the puck, had moved to the blue line, um, which meant that Reinbacher could activate and move down the right wall. Um, that's something that I'm sure Marty and company loved. Um, he read the play developing, and he took a controlled risk based on the way that he read the play. And it paid off. The Canadians you know, were able to score on that play. And even if they don't, and the puck ends up going back the other way, we know that at least Newhook is back. You know, when the 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 benefit from a play like that is that the forwards aren't necessarily expecting a defenseman to activate, you know, on the weak side away from the puck. They're all looking at the puck. It Reinbacher kind of sneaks in behind him and he's able to, you know, basically with the puck skate all the way down to the face-off dot and make a play, you know, cross scene to Anderson. Really, it was a really just interesting play from a you know, perspective that I don't necessarily think we've seen a lot of defensemen in Montreal make that play as of late. Um, you know, Matheson seems like a guy who would do that. Um, David Savard, you know, he seems to go on a rush like that every so often to mixed results. Um, but it was a, you know, it's a really good sign. Again, we're not looking for Reinbacher to be a complete player right now, but, you know, it gave us a glimpse of the player he can be. um, Of course, on that goal, Josh Anderson scores. I thought he looked like Josh Anderson um, that we were getting right as he broke his leg last season. He was doing Josh Anderson stuff again, you know, for better or worse. I I still think that if you want to get production out of a second winger, you need to keep them as far away from Josh Anderson as possible. I think he passed the puck in the offensive zone about three times on Monday night. He is a very one-dimensional player. And I don't say that to say that he's a bad hockey player. I say that in in saying that he does one thing particularly well, and that one thing is driving the net with the puck. You just cannot expect him to pass the puck. He just doesn't do it. You know, like, I don't know that that's necessarily a skill you can teach him at this point, nor do I think he really needs to learn it because he's already proven he can be successful not doing that. You just have to find complementary players who are going to do things like go into the corners to get the puck, um, which Slavkovsky did on that line. Um, there was a play where Anderson came in, sort of chipped the puck into the corner, um, and basically sent Slavkovsky to go get it. He goes, Slavkovsky goes into the corner. Um, he ends up you know, in a battle with two devils. He fought them. He comes away with the puck and he sets up Anderson for a great opportunity around the slot. So, you know, there are you can find players to play with Josh Anderson. I just don't know like that playing Slavkovsky with him is the best course of action if your goal is to get Slavkovsky going. If your goal is to get him to start scoring goals, I don't know if playing him with with Anderson is the, the the thing with Anderson doing his Eric Cole impression, every every shift, just coming down the wing, putting his shoulder down and driving to the net. Um, I just don't I don't see that you're going to put a player there who's going to have a ton of success. Um, I, I would love like an, uh, a Raphael Harvey Pinard on a line like that, a guy that can create his own space and create his own opportunities. Because Slavkovsky's just not going to get a ton of touches if he's playing with a guy like Anderson who won't move the puck. Um, One final note on Slavkovsky from Game 1. I thought he was getting a lot of chances from the slot, but he wasn't able to get his shot off in time. He needs a a quicker release if he's going to score from these high traffic areas. And at least in Game 1, defenders were able to interrupt his shot more often than not. It's an encouraging development that he's getting those opportunities, you know, his body is affording him space in those high traffic areas. But the the shot just wasn't it the, you know, he was it, it and we're talking about like milliseconds, right? Like we're talking about him just holding the puck a little bit too long. And that might be a confidence thing that he thinks he needs to put everything into every shot because it's, it's just not going in. Um as we know, he scored in game 2. And he was getting a whole lot more shots off in that game. So I think that as the confidence grows, so will his ability to get the puck on the net. Um, I thought Arbor Jacke had a, a pretty rough game. Um, he just seemed a step behind at almost all times. Um, it could just be preseason rust. So I'm not reading too much into it. Um, but it might be something to monitor as we move forward. I know I said his pairing with Baron is an NHL pairing, but... There are a lot of guys fighting for spots back there. I think it's important for him that he bounces back in this next game. Um, in net, Sam Montembeau had the first half. Jakob Dobish had the second half. Um, Sam Montembeau was simultaneously fantastic and also led in two pretty stinky goals, which seems like exactly what we got out of Sam Montembeau last year. Like his goal saved above expected is always was was always very high because he made a lot of like desperation saves and he made a lot of just really, really good saves, but then he would just let in a clunker. Um, You know, like in this game, there was one where, yeah, there was a lot of traffic on that play and, and there were bodies flying all over the place, but the puck was basically shot right at him, but he was laying on his back. So, I mean, it was just a very preseason goal. And the second one bounced off the end boards and hit him in the pad and goes in. So like nothing he can do there. um, but, I still think he's, especially after seeing the second game, he is by far the Canadians best option in that. Uh, and lastly, this was our first opportunity to see Logan Mayu in an NHL setting. Like I said before, the rookie showcase does not count. Um, and I thought, I thought he came as advertised. Um, he's massive. He was like, just his frame is, is impressive. Um, he was throwing his weight around from the jump. You know, he hit, I think he he was really going after Tyler Toffoli in that game. And I was like, we, you know, we like him, right? Like, you don't need to be doing that. Um, and as I'll get into, and as I got into on Twitter, he was really aggressive offensively. There are, there are times where that aggression is well utilized. And there are some where the safer play should be used instead. Um, we saw a bit of both in that first preseason game. Um, he got some power play time in this one. At one point, he was the lone defenseman back on the blue line, trying to keep the puck in with two devils kind of going after him because he was very close to the blue line. He was barely keeping it in. Instead of just chipping the puck in deep to prevent an odd man rush, he tried to hold off two devils. You know, like when you're playing the old, you know, the, the the NHL games and you hold either A or X, depending on what console you're on. And you kind of just like one-handed hold the puck away from, you know, you, you, you protect the puck with your body. He tried doing that. It didn't work. The Devils went on a 2 on o down the other way. They didn't end up scoring. But still, an opportunity was created out of a play where a safer play would have prevented it. Um, and on a shorthanded shift, this is the one that I think I took. I was, I looked at the, as the most egregious example. Um, he's shorthanded. It's the end of his, I think it's the end of his shift or at least close to it. Um, he has the puck in the neutral zone. There are four devils surrounding him, like two on his flank and then two right in front of him. And instead of just chipping the puck in deep and getting off, or at least going back and resetting, he tried to make a move to go through one of them. He lost the puck. He continued to chase the puck carrier to the devil goal line. And then he, con- he continued to chase Jack Hughes all the way up through the neutral zone. Um, and once they got to the Canadian zone, Mayu just kind of bailed on the play. He just kind of... Uh, Hughes went towards the middle of the ice and Mayu just spun the other way and went towards the boards. Um, and of course, we saw the rest of it. He picked apart the remaining defenders. Um, I like the aggression, and I I tweeted about this, and people took it, I think, the entirely wrong way. You know, well, he's confident, and having confidence is a good thing. I'm not saying that he should be less confident. I just don't think that, like, okay, let's, let's think of it this way. How many times have you seen a defenseman look at four players in front of him on the opposing team And decide I'm gonna go through all four of them and score a goal it doesn't it just doesn't happen when you hear the term low percentage play that's what they're referring to (laughs) like he's not Connor McDavid and even when Connor McDavid does that it's spectacular because it's something that shouldn't be able to be done and in most cases it isn't able to be done I like the aggression He very clearly has the speed and the offensive talents to back up that aggression. That's what made him really, really successful in junior hockey. This isn't junior hockey anymore. Everyone keeps pointing me to his stats from when he was with the London Knights. First of all, people are looking at those stats as if it makes him the best defender in the OHL there were, I think, at least 10 defensemen who were almost all younger and drafted in lower positions than him, who outscored him in the OHL. And he did that as an overager. So I think we need to pump the brakes on the OHL numbers. I don't think that they're particularly helpful in analyzing this player. I just think he needs to do a better job of picking his spots, which very fortunately is teachable, right? There's tape from this game that they can use and show him as a positive example what they'd like to see. There was a play in the third where he carried the puck through the neutral zone. Um, He set up a give-and-go with Slavkowski at the blue line. So he passed it off, and then he got it back right as he crossed the blue line. And it it gave them an odd-man rush where Mayu got a great shooting opportunity. It was an excellent play for Mayu that should be highlighted, and especially considering that these are two players who haven't played together before. They have no chemistry. And yet they were still able to execute a pretty effective give and go on the blue line that allowed them to create a scoring opportunity. The shorthanded play where he tried to take on four Devils at once was ill-advised. You know, I, I just, the the one time I can remember this happening that involved a player on the Canadians was Andre Kostitsin. Um, he did it to the Capitals a long time ago. Like I think the Capitals might have still been wearing white and, and black and blue and the fact that i can remember the only other time i've seen this is because it's not it doesn't happen very often so i'm not knocking the confidence i'm i'm just uh, that's not a play that's going to work in the nhl it's just not I, I i i don't even know if that was particularly you know useful for him in the ohl you know it's not how he, he scored a lot of his goals on the rush don't get me wrong but they weren't shorthanded 1 on 4s Thankfully, I think this coaching staff and this development team are perfectly positioned to help him overcome the decision-making issues. He's missed a lot of development time over the last few years. Some of that due to his own doing. Some of that due to COVID, which everybody dealt with. He, you know, He's not special in that regard. And some of that due to a shoulder injury. They are going to have to make up for lost time with him. He has not played a lot of games. I like his chances of becoming an impact player, but there are things he has to work on. And I also think that we need to, as a fan base, understand that in criticizing the play, I am not criticizing the person. They're different things. Some people have entirely co-opted any, any criticism of Logan Mayu, the person, as some anti-woke you know, rallying cry. He tried to take on four guys by himself. <laughs> like we're not we're not watching the same game if if we're looking at that and saying that it's good that he tried that. It's not good that he tried that. I like the mentality that he thinks he can go through those guys, but he shouldn't be doing that at this level. It's not a professional thing to do. So I'm going to continue to watch him play and criticize the plays that i think should, you know need to be worked on and you know talk about the plays that he does where he does things really well like i did in this game you can do both it's crazy um, so the Habs dropped that 152 um uh, but the score of these games does not matter i cannot stress that enough um, so let's move right along to game 2 all right at home Against Ottawa, Mike Matheson was supposed to play in this one, but just before the game he was pulled from the lineup and Gooley was added in his place. Um, Last season, the same thing happened to Matheson where he was, you know, pulled before a preseason game for precautionary reasons and he ended up missing like the first month of the season. So, fingers crossed it's not serious. Um, It... I'm recording this as the um, just after the second game ended. So th- there may be news on this already. I don't have anything in front of me to look, and it would be rude if I did. Um so let's carry that, you know, the preseason line viewing philosophy that we had for game one into game two. Up front, we have two full NHL lines. Caulfield, Suzuki, Monahan up front, line one. I like it. Um I know I, I mentioned Last episode, I should say, I predicted last episode that, you know, they would try New Hook in that position. It seems like they really want to use New Hook at center, and it seems like Monahan might be at the point in his career where he has more to offer on the wing than down the middle. He can also jump in and help Suzuki with faceoffs. You know, Suzuki can afford now to be a little bit more, you know, um, aggressive in the faceoff dot because he knows, well, if I get tossed, Monaghan's going to come in and we have a pretty good chance of winning it. Second line, uh, Harvey Pinard, Doc, and Slavkovsky. Uh, it's not often NHLers play in the first and second preseason games, um, but and I'm trying to think of like other players who had done it. And I think last year Slavkovsky also did it, but I feel like that's because he played the first game and then the second game a forward got hurt, so they put him in as well. Um, so it's it's rare that NHLers will play in back to back preseason games. But I think they really want to try Slavkovsky in a few different places before the season starts, because why not, right? Like, you want him to get off to a good start. This is an opportunity for you to find the best possible place for him in a low-pressure environment. It's the preseason. The barns have full. Like, it's none of, none of this matters. And for RHP, for Rafael harvey Pinard, this is a pretty big signal from the team that they see him as a really important piece of this offense. You know, last season, he got the call up because of of a ton of injuries, and he seized that opportunity, and he made the most of it, and his contract, you know, is an an indicator that the Canadians believe that it wasn't a mirage, but he still needs to fight for a spot on this roster. Can he seize the opportunity like he did last year? I like his chances because I don't want to bet against him. He's, he's, you know, kind of defied the odds his entire way up. And then I think we have two clear AHL lines. Um Elias Anderson, Philip Meshar and uh Heineman are the first of those two lines. Meshar getting his first look in a Canadian sweater as is Anderson. That could be a really nice line in Laval. It might be one of the better lines that they can possibly put together. I really like that um especially for you know Meshar and Heineman to have a guy like Anderson who who's kind of, you know, I know he's only twenty-four, I think, but he's kind of played everywhere. Um, it's a good guy to have around. Uh, the second of those uh, AHL lines is uh, Bork, Zignac, and Davidson. Very clearly an AHL line, but Davidson has been turning heads in camp. Um, wearing, I couldn't believe that I saw someone wearing seventy-six. So I mean, a little, some of that was a little bit jarring. Um, but it comes with the, you know, I think I think that he. He's been turning a lot of heads in camp because his play's been good. And in this game, I thought he played particularly well. Um, You know, not overly flashy, but he does the little things that he's supposed to do at this level of his career. Uh, On the back end, we've still only got one full NHL pair uh, in Gouley and Savard. Of course, Gouley was intended to be Matheson. um, And, you know, which shouldn't come as any surprise because Matheson and Savard played a lot together last season. Um, so an NHL pair nonetheless, uh, an AHL NHL pair with Trudeau and Kovacevic and an AHL pair with Norlander and keeper. Um, before getting into the rest of this game, I kind of want to talk, I I want to make a request of the Montreal Canadiens that we stop scheduling preseason games against Ottawa every year. Ottawa seems to ice some variation of a goon squad against the Canadians in the preseason, and it's always an unmitigated disaster. NHL teams are responsible for scheduling their own preseason games. The NHL has a minimum number of games and a maximum number of games. I believe the least is four and the most is eight. If you remember a few, maybe it was last, no, it couldn't have been last year, so probably two years ago, Carolina. Didn't play for, and apparently Mark Bergevin called the NHL to complain because because Carolina scheduled their own games. They don't have to, you know. The league does not put those in place. Montreal does not need to play Ottawa twice every preseason. They don't need to play Ottawa once every preseason. To tie this back into the game at hand, like the the second the the, the second and third periods. Uh, like almost became a wash because like neither of these teams could stay out of the box like I feel like I didn't see Philip Meshar once in the second period because the game scripts didn't allow for it like he wasn't penalty killing or if he was like it was just not a, a big deal and like I, I he might have gotten out there on the power play but the, the way that the script kept going is the Canadians would always get like the the first penalty and that Ottawa would take the next one. So Montreal would get like a truncated power play at the end of that four on four. You know, and I, I, we're not that far removed from like, remember Sammy Nuku and how his, you know, we were hopeful that he might play a significant role on the Canadians. And then in the preseason against Ottawa, he gets buried into the end boards. Like, I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. There's no reason to be playing these guys. Like, Mark Castlick in this game was just a, a tremendous loser. Like there you know him and Doc were pushing and shoving and then you know Castlick throws his gloves off and then grabs him. And somehow Doc ends up with a penalty after all of that. Like it's just it's so frustrating. There's and and the I think the most frustrating part about it is there's no reason for it. It's not the NHL saying those are your games, play them. Call Buffalo. Called Detroit. Even the Toronto games, you know, granted we play them I think three times in a row coming out. Even the Toronto games in the preseason don't get that bad. We're lucky Brandon Davidson seems okay after taking, or Jared Davidson rather, not Brandon Davidson. Jared Davidson seems okay after taking a bad knee on knee from, you know, some dude. And we're extremely lucky that Caden Gooley seems okay after getting boarded by some dude. Like, these are just dudes. Like, they're not guys that are going to be impact players in the NHL. They're guys who are coming out there and are making a name for themselves. Because I think it's it's got to be some kind of, like, running joke in the Senators' locker room that, like, that first preseason game against Montreal is just open season. So stop. Like, just just schedule any anyone else but Ottawa. There's no reason to be playing them. All right, that's enough we'll talk about the games I actually was able to take away from like the 10 minutes of usable hockey in this game. Um, Nick and Cole are back to being Nick and Cole. And that was just really nice to see um, on the power play. They looked dynamic together, great passes, great shots from both of them. Um, and it wasn't just Cole shooting, which is big. Like if it's just Caulfield shooting all the time, he'll have no space. They'll just, they'll put, they'll shade him on the power play. You'll never see him shoot the puck because he'll have a guy, you know, just shadowing him the entire time. Suzuki being a shooting threat was critical last year and it's critical this year. Um, Think of it like, you know, in football terms, if you have one good, one really, really good wide receiver on your team and not a whole lot of other ones, the defense will play that one wide receiver to the point where you can't throw to him because, you know, the other guys aren't good enough to create space for him. It's very similar to that, at least in my mind. Um, this was our first look at Doc this preseason, and he looked, to me anyway, like a different animal. Like, he was a great stick checker last season, and he was pretty physical last season. I think those I think those skills might have gotten better. Like, his line with Slavkovsky and RHP has the opportunity to be one of the most annoying lines to play against because when they don't have the puck, they're working relentlessly to get it back. Um, you know, and, and out of that Slavkovsky was able to score based on, you know, possession that they created from stealing the puck. Um, Slavkovsky getting that goal was really big. He knows he needs to start producing. I think he's way too hard on himself in that respect. Um, in that first game, he had chances, couldn't bury them in game two. He bury one he buries one early. And what did we talk about after game one? The quickness of his shot and the release. On this goal, the puck was barely on even on his stick. He did enough just kind of, to kind of stop the puck in front of him and then whack it into the net. Um and even if that's just him knocking a puck into a net and not necessarily shooting it, um, you know, it still, I think, is going to make him feel more confident because we, we saw that throughout the rest of the game. Um, he created a breakaway where he made a, a really nice move that was ultimately stopped by Corpusala, who made a really great save, but it was still a great move that required a great save. Um, so the confidence seems to be building for him. I can't imagine he's going to play um, in the next preseason game but you know i'm i'm curious to see if the next time we see him if that confidence has carried over um, slavkovsky's buddy out there uh, philip Mayshar, i thought he might have been one of the fastest hab skaters out there i don't know if it's necessarily true or not but he certainly looked really quick he also looked very small <laughs> he's listed as 5 foot 10 that's generous, like I feel like he's five eight at the absolute most, which you know I, I don't think that that'll impact much, you know, David Dayarnay made it at five foot seven i like I like what I saw from Philip meshar and the you know limited opportunities we had to see him because of the you know the mess that the game became um like with a lot of the young players, most of the young players, he's not complete just yet but I'm looking forward to seeing how he handles a full AHL season. His last OHL season didn't go particularly well, and he ended up playing some AHL games that didn't go all that well. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he pull, how he pulls it all together and how the development team works with him to, you know, refine some of the areas of his game. Uh, and lastly on this one, uh, Sean Monahan tapped in a Cole Caulfield rebound to tie the game in the third. I can see why they'd want a guy like Monahan on that line instead of Kerfoot, like I predicted last episode. Monahan's gonna have a lot more success driving the net, like we saw in that goal, than a an Alex Newhook would would have. If Monahan can continue doing that, that line should have, you know, a lot of success. Um, that if, of course, is heavily influenced by whether or not he can stay healthy, which we just we know is a challenge for him at this point in his career. Like it, every sentence of man, Monaghan looks good is autumn, is almost immediately, you know, caveated with, I hope he stays healthy because it's just not, it's not a reality for him. Like he's had a really hard time uh, making it through an 82 game season. The worst part about this line working, and I hate to just be a, a, you know, negative about it is that in the preseason, you know, yeah, it worked. And then they take it into the regular season and if he gets hurt again and he can't play for most, if not all of the season, then we're right back where we were last year where we didn't have a player who could play on that line with him. Maybe they move our HP up, but then that messes with the, you know, the chemistry of all the other lines. You know, that's the challenge to me anyway of putting Monaghan in that top line role is that like you don't know that necessarily you're even going to get 40 games out of him. I hope we do. I'm not wishing that he gets hurt and I'm not even, you know, predicting that he's going to get hurt, but it's just something that like it, it, he has a, he has a hard time staying healthy. Well, and (laughs) this was the one thing last season that really got me was people were saying, well, it's a different injury than the one that, than his chronic injury. So we shouldn't be worried. Why, why does that make you feel better? (laughs) Like it just means he found a new way to get hurt. I don't know, it's just, you know, glass half full, half empty mentality, um, but with all that said, if he stays healthy, he should have a ton of success playing next to those two players, and he should be a very attractive option at the trade deadline for a team who needs a, a you know, a depth scoring forward, so potentially Sean Monahan. I know we all banked on it last year, and he didn't stay healthy, so it didn't work out, but Sean Monaghan could be, you know, turned into more assets for the Canadiens rebuild, which would be really nice. Um, one last thing on that game, actually, the the goaltending. I, I don't have a ton of confidence in Primo or Allen at this point. Um, I thought Allen, I, I can't recall a, a, an important save that he made in that game. I know he only played half of it, but, you know, Primo came in and had to make some tough saves. Allen, you know, he said, you know, as the season was kicking off that he wants to get more games this year. And I just don't know that his play is deserving of that at this point. Things can change. Like Montembeau can stumble and they'll they'll move to Allen for a short-term fix. But I just, man, Montreal has one usable NHL goaltender, I think, and that's Sam Montembeau. Um, we'll see. I, I know we're gonna see more, especially out of Primo, because, you know, it's it's the witching hour for him. Like they, they need to make a decision on whether or not he's going to make this team. And if you made me, you know, if you made me pick whether or not he makes it, I don't think he does at this point. I think he clears waivers and he goes to the AHL, but like I I certainly liked Jakob Dobish a whole lot more than than Caden Primo in the, the limited time that we got to see both of them. Um, so the goaltending question is still up there and it will be, you know, discussed for the rest of the training camp and probably right up until the season starts. So no answers there. And with that game, the Canadians won and they won their first preseason game in three years. I texted a friend of mine who's a Ravens fan that the Canadians are the anti-Ravens because for those who don't know, the Baltimore Ravens up until this year had like the longest streak in NFL history of, of preseason wins. Um, I, I just I couldn't like I was thinking back I'm like man they really haven't won a preseason game in forever huh and then I was thinking like well were there preseason games in the the COVID year I don't even remember so at any rate that streak is over and uh, I don't know that it particularly matters to me but the players were really really happy to finally get that win like they were talking about it before the game started that it was really important for them to win that game and they did it. That's great. All right. Uh, that's all I've got in this one. I will be back after a few more of these games. Um, we have Toronto on Friday night and Saturday night. And then I believe one more time after that. And then I believe it's back to Ottawa for one more. And then that's it. We're into the regular season. Um, it's, it's, it's funny how fast training camp in the preseason goes. It's, it's really like two weeks. But we're we're very close. It's it's almost time for, for the real thing. Until we speak again. Thanks for listening. Uh here's your long social media plug. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, not calling it X, at maybe it's Ian. And on bluesky at maybe it's Ian dot uh, the build is also on blue sky at the build So go follow if you're on there. Eventually I think we're all gonna make the jump there. That just seems like the the logical progression, so I'll probably be tweeting during games from the build account at some point in the near future. Um, but who knows? Uh, the build is also on TikTok at the Build MTL, um, where I've been posting clips from the episodes. I've seen some of you know our listeners reacting to them and seeing them, so, and that's that's been really cool. That the algorithm has been finding you guys. I honestly don't really know that I'm doing what you know is successful on TikTok. So. If you see the stuff, interact with it. I think it helps. The same can be said for YouTube. Um, Full episodes are going up there as well as shorts. Those videos may be a little delayed because it's almost 11 o'clock and I have to work in the morning. So those might might go up on Thursday at some point. Um, All right. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the link in the description to head over to his Bandcamp page for the rest of his stuff. Thanks for listening. See you next time.